I'm so glad each one of you had an opportunity to be able to join us. Uh, we're a, a community here. And if you're newer, uh, even as Dave started talking and sharing a little bit about Al, and um, most of us are pretty affected by Al's life and now his death. He was a friend, he was an elder, and he was part of the life of this church for just about a million years. And it's hard to even imagine life without Al and Barb. But we come together and we worship an amazing God, even when our faith is weak. Even when we're struggling with circumstances. You know, I don't think the circumstance was too much different for the disciples. This is our 35th study in the book of John, the Gospel of John. And Jesus is literally, in our text for today, sharing the last words that he shares with his disciples. And then he's going to pray. Then he's going to go to the garden and get arrested. So right now he's basically saying, huddle up, guys. I'm leaving. I want you to understand that what I have to say to you is critical. Jesus is trying to encourage and to inform and set them well. Set them up well for life and for ministry. What a critical portion of Scripture, not only for them, but for us. It's a little bit like sending your kid away to college. Now, I don't want to make light of that, but, but for the most part, you spend 18 years rearing this wonderful young man or young lady. And then you're going to send them away perhaps four, five, six hours, and you've prepped them well. You told them how credit card companies are going to go after you and offer you all these great deals. You've warned them about going to school is a whole lot different, and if you don't get up and go to class, you'll never pass. And you also give them all kinds of different wisdom, right? Different things that help them, and then they finally get in that car, and they leave. And you're going, oh, Lord, Lord, please. I hope some of this sunk in. And what you're going to find out is some did and some didn't is the bottom line. But in our text today, Jesus gives it to him straight. He really is leaving. All right. He has faithfully for the last three years modeled and trained and unleashed them into ministry. And then he brought them back. They talked about it and they did it again. He showed them what loving others to the end looks like. We're literally in this few moments before this, he washed their feet. And at that moment, there was at least Judas there knowing that this man was going to go and betray him. He still loved him and served him. 
He has encouraged them to trust him. Faith is going to be absolutely critical during this journey. He also informed them of the paraclete. Again, we don't want to make anybody afraid of that term. It was the Holy Spirit. But it's hard to translate. He was a comforter, an encourager, a teacher. He was one who, well, walked alongside. He also told them to go make a difference by bearing lasting fruit. Now Christ's final words before he prays for them and leaves for the garden. i am asked Alicia to read our text for us. If you can open your Bibles to John chapter 16. We're going to start at verse 16. So uh, if you don't have your Bible or flash screen, you can follow along on the screen behind me. In a little while, you won't see me anymore. But a little while after that, you will see me again. Some of the disciples asked each other, What does he mean when he says, In a little while you won't see me, but then you will see me? And I'm going to the Father. And what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. Jesus realized that they wanted to ask him about it. So he said, Are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said, In a little while you won't see me, but a little while after that you will see me again. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask, using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. I have spoken of these matters in figures of speech, but soon I will stop speaking figuratively and will tell you plainly all about the Father. Then you will ask in my name. I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. Yes, I came from the Father into the world, and now I will leave the world and return to the Father. Then his disciples said, At last you are speaking plainly and not figuratively. Now we understand that you know everything, and there is no need to question you. From this we believe that you came from God. Jesus asked, Do you finally believe? But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Father, those last few lines rivet me. You shared all this so that we might understand what peace in you is all about. This world is crazy. It's filled with troubles and trials. But somehow you gave these disciples and all those who follow you a gift. Open our eyes this morning, Father. In spite of the week we've had or the circumstances that we're in the middle of, would you give us wings? In Jesus' name, amen.
You know, teaching from a narrative is tricky. Expository preaching does it best. Expository teaching is taking a book like the Gospel of John or 1 Peter and to be able to go through verse by verse or section by section or chapter by chapter. There are times we need little snippets of Scripture, but if we're going to be able to interpret everything well, to be able to hear the story, to be able to understand the context, to see the big picture is critical for us to actually understand the text. So that's why we look at the whole of the inspired scriptures. And Lord willing, as we continue to move through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And we'll take a word or a paragraph or a concept or an illustration that maybe Jesus uses and be able to apply it directly to our lives, strengthening us for the task that God has called each one of us to. Jesus really now tries to clarify some of the disciples' confusion. I want to say again, we're sometimes hard on the disciples. And sometimes it's probably justifiable. You know, they, they just did stupid things at times and said dumb things at times. And you wonder. But we have perspective. We have all of the scriptures. We're looking backwards into history. And sometimes things seem to jump out at us and make sense, well, a whole lot better than with the disciples. So remember, Jesus is about ready to leave. This team are the guys that he's literally handing the baton off to. These guys are the ones who are literally going to take the good news, the gospel, into all the world. Jesus is leaving. Did I say that? He's leaving. So his last ditch effort, pouring some wisdom and encouragement into these guys. So he says this, simply put, I'm going to be put in the tomb. You're going to see me. You're going to see me. You're going to weep and mourn. But you know what? The bad guys, they're going to rejoice. The bad guys, you're, they're going to rejoice. And then he gives this illustration. He goes, but your grief is really going to turn into joy. Look at verse 20 and 21. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me. But the world's going to rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will, will suddenly turn to some wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought this new baby into the world. So Jesus uses an illustration. I don't know how many of those guys knew about childbirth, but probably most of them. And he says something like this, it's going to be like birthing of a healthy child. Now, 
do I need to spend time here, actually? I'm not so sure movies have really done justice to that. If you've never seen the birth of a child or never experienced the birth of a child, everybody hears the stories of what labor is like. Now, I do realize that birthing experience is unique. Yet these are some of the uh, comments that women have said. After going through labor and delivering a healthy baby. The pain is like having your insides twisted, pulled, and squeezed. It feels like your abdomen is trying to squeeze out all its contents, not just the baby. Labor pain was the most excruciating pain I had ever felt. Labor is like if you ate 100 hot peppers and then birthed a watermelon. (laughs) Giving birth felt like I was dying. I was that crazy person yelling, I can't do this. Labor is like getting pressed in an old-fashioned laundry wringer. Oh, my word. Labor is like gnomes squeezing my abdomen with a hot vice. Labor is like a a dozen dozen tiny sadists simultaneously tightening my abdomen with winches. It's thunder rolling through my body. Now, just so you know, Elizabeth is about to give birth. Her first. You have some fun things to look forward to. Just letting you know. But every one of us, look at that. And, and there are people actually in our congregation right now that not only went through that once, but twice, and three times, and four times, and I don't even know how many times. And they keep going back. I am not sure it's about the pain. And like I said, everything is individualized. I I get that. But in spite of the pain, no one's going to rob the mother of the joy. That first picture that was up there was agony. But this is often the picture right after the birth or close to it. She's smiling, folks. She is so excited to hold that new little life. Dad's over there. He has no clue what's going on, and he's happy too. You know? Kind of oblivious, probably. But although there might have been many questions before, and even that's not even feeling so good, the only thing that matters right now is this little baby as you're looking down and saying, oh. This is so wonderful. This is wonderful. Not thinking about the pain, not thinking about the recovery, not thinking about anything. Mom just stares. Now back to our text. The resurrection is what turns grief into joy. What Jesus was saying is, you're going to watch the torture and the burial. We know that crucifixion was a 
horrific way to die. Many people will say the worst of all experiences. Before Jesus even got here, the scripture tells he did not even look like a man. So we've got these disciples and other followers that are watching Jesus literally get the life whipped and beat out of him. Mangled, taken to the cross, and hanging. What a horrible three days. Have have you ever thought of that? I mean, this was your king. This was your Messiah. You're all excited. Then all of a sudden he gets arrested. Then all of a sudden this happens. Then they take him down and they put him in a tomb. How are you feeling right now? Oh, you'll say, well, Jesus told them over and over, hey, he's going to rise again. But I'm telling you, they didn't get it, did they? Is this the end? We just saw our, well, maybe not best friend, but really, really, really good friend, and maybe he was best friend, just being mutilated like this. The pain the grief. We all grieve when loved ones die. But to watch someone die like this? But then, the resurrection. And that's what Jesus was talking about. Do you understand what the resurrection means? Now, he didn't go into great deal here, but now we do know what the resurrection meant. The resurrection meant that God wins, that Jesus defeated death, that Jesus is the Son of God. The resurrection means believers win, that we are now justified by our faith and because of God's grace, we now can come boldly into the presence of God. We have direct access to God because of the blood that was shed. We have a relationship with the Almighty God. And on top of that, we get the paraclete. We get the Holy Spirit. Someone who teaches us. Someone who convicts us. Someone who encourages us. Someone who puts their arm around our shoulders as we walk through life. The resurrection means Jesus lives. That we have a living hope. That He will return. And we will be given new bodies. God gave us a snapshot of what the future is going to be. Now really what Jesus is saying is that you're going to have joy mostly because I'm going to return alive. That Jesus is alive. The rest of this will literally sink into the guys later. They will. But if you look at verse 22... So now, or so you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice, and no one will rob you of that joy. How cool to be able to, well, have days of despair and wake up on Sunday morning and meet Jesus. Oh. At that time, no one's going to ask questions. At that time, it's just going to be gazing in wonder and even fear in some ways. 
Jesus used the... Uh, Jesus told them at this moment to be able to go boldly into the throne room because they have a new relationship with the Savior. How cool is that? You'll have full authority now to talk directly to God the Father. The Father loves you, and because you have believed and obeyed, you have a relationship with Him. So go directly to the Father now. This is new for you. You had me around all the time. I talked on your behalf. But now, you have that Holy Spirit. John MacArthur quotes or or gives us a little bit of insight right at this moment. He says this, This is the third time that evening that the Lord stated that truth underscoring its immense significance. To pray in Jesus' name is not to use his name as a formula, uh, just tacking it on to the end of a prayer to ensure its success. Rather, it is to pray for that which is consistent with Christ's person and will, and to affirm one's complete dependence on him to supply every need with the goal that he would be glorified in the answer. Such prayer was new to the disciples, who up until that point had asked nothing in Jesus' name. They had neither asked um, Jesus himself or prayed to the Father. But now Jesus urged them, ask and you will receive. And then added the promise, blessing or or the blessed promise, so that your joy might be made full. Answered prayer based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and springing from an obedient life. It's a powerful source in turning sorrow into joy. Well, at least according to this narrative, the disciples felt a little relieved. Finally, they tell Jesus, you're making sense. It's starting to all get really, really clear. And then Jesus goes, really? Look at verse 31. Jesus is asking, do you finally believe? Really? But the time is coming indeed and is here now when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. This is going to be critical. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus said, well, very soon you're all going to scatter. Even though you've told me how much you love me, even though you've, you've shared with me that you will be loyal to the end, but you are going to scatter. And I'm going to be there alone. And I'm not actually going to be alone. I mean, my Father is actually going to be with me. But what I want you to understand is that I am sharing with you I'm going to go through one of the most, if not the most horrendous things anybody could go through. But my hope is not that I'm going to be strong. 
is not that I'm going to be gracious, even though he was those things. His hope was that his dad was going to walk with him on this journey. That's why for a few moments, when God turned his back on Jesus and the cross, it was horrific. Never happened before in all of eternity. But he said, hey, during this time, my father's going to walk with me. And I told you all this so that you may have peace in me. There's going to be many trials and sorrows during your time on earth. But be encouraged. I have overcome the world. I am stronger than the world and you have me. Now, when you're young, sometimes our world's troubles and sorrows are not getting picked for the all-star game when you're in third grade. And you know what? That hurts when you're in third grade. It does. Crushes you. But as you live your life, you often find out that trouble gets uglier. Sorrows. Injustice. And that our world, well, there's a lot of things that aren't fair. They're just not. But Jesus said, there's a lot of things that are going to happen to me in the next few hours that are not fair. How come a perfect man A man that never hurt anybody, only was kind and gracious and loving. How come he's treated this way? How come? He's trusting his dad for one thing. But what he was saying is, is that I'm going to be able to get through this. I'm going to have peace because my father's going to be with me. So the crux of Christ's whole message, his whole four chapters here, is you may have peace in me. Whoa. A relationship with me changes everything. There's still going to be trials. There's still going to be troubles. There's still going to be things that are unfair. But there is something that happens to a believer who walks with God and is able to trust God even though the circumstances are horrific. So what is this peace in me? What is that? What's he actually talking about? Well, he gave us some hints already in the first three chapters, in chapters 13, 14, and 15. He did. But he said, you will have joy because of the peace I give you. It's my presence. So when the storm is the greatest, I give you peace, just like the Father has given me. Over these next few days, when you're not going to understand everything, or over these next few months, or over these next few years, and last week we read through the list of what happened to the disciples and how they died. All hard deaths. 
And he says, what I want you to know is you will not be alone. I told you all this and warned you about it because I want you to experience peace. I want you to recognize that I am enough. It's all about peace. It's all about having ultimate confidence in an almighty God. So what does peace look like? Well, if you grew up in the 60s, it would look like one thing. But peace is this unbelievable, unwavering confidence that God is in control. Peace happens when you stay connected to the vine. And we shared a few weeks back when we looked in John 15 how important it was to stay connected to the vine. Because if you don't stay connected to the vine, if you don't abide in the vine, you can do nothing on your own. At that moment and a few weeks before that and a few weeks after that, we talked about how important repentance was. Because repentance, confessing your sin, is something that keeps you connected to the vine. You can't live apart from the vine. You can't live, well, rebellious and stay connected to the vine. So the talk that Jesus gave every one of these disciples was really critical. He says, you stay connected to the vine. That means when you sin and you are going to sin, repent quickly. Stay connected. Then you're going to get my strength. Then you're going to be green and full of fruit. Then you're going to experience abundance. I don't care if the rains come. I don't care if the storms come. You are connected to the vine. And it makes all the difference in the world. Connected to the vine means that the Spirit is leading you. Sometimes we use this term, the Spirit-filled journey. And it's a beautiful journey. It's you listening to the paraclete that's in you. And when he convicts you of something, you own it and you confess it as sin. And when he leads you, you say yes. And when he prompts you, you say, I want to do that. Because the only way you and I are going to do and accomplish the assignment God gives us is for us to stay connected to the fine and be spirit-filled and led. There's no way we can love others the way Jesus loved unless we do that. There's no way we're washing feet, we're picking up the towel to those people who don't deserve it. Especially those who are going to betray me. Forget that. But Jesus said, I will give you the strength to love others in a different way. It's bearing fruit that will last. You know, we're going to have a funeral on Wednesday. And we're going to celebrate a life of Al. Not a perfect man, but a holy man. A man that loved God. A man that was a child of God. And we're going to be able to, well, look at his life and thank God for the years that he gave us. 
But one of the things you're going to hear over and over and over again is that Al invested well. He bore eternal fruit. Ah, that must have been some home going on Thursday when he breathed his last breath. Whoa. I just can't imagine. Oh, that's a good song too. But I can't imagine what it would be like to see Jesus. And you know what? All those that invested well, all those that hung on to the vine, all those that stayed connected to the vine, all those that bore eternal fruit, oh, God's going to say, well done, my faithful servant. You see, we all have a bent for selfishness, don't we? We all have bent to please our own selves. But as you walk with God, as the Spirit leads you, all of a sudden you become others-focused. You just do. And what's so cool is that in the midst of the storms or in the midst of these hard times, you literally talk to God often and naturally. You know, normally I sleep like a rock. No doubt about it. Three seconds after I hit the pillow, I'm done. You know? And I'm not sure how come, but I think it's a gift. All right? A blessing. But last night, very odd, I was up quite a few moments, and I was just talking to God. I honestly, as this came to mind and that came to mind, my mind was racing. Hey, Lord, Father, I I don't know if I prayed for everyone who's sitting here. Um, I prayed for a lot of different people. And, and it was just me talking to my dad. It was so much fun. Now, maybe I'm going to be really crabby in just a little bit, and, and my wife will tell me to go take a time out. I, I don't know, all right? But at least at this moment, God woke me up, I think, so that I might just talk to him about different people different situations, and different families. There was a peace. I I wasn't wrestling. I I wasn't worried about actually sleeping. I just was, okay, I got woken up. I'll talk to your God. Let me know when you want me to go back to sleep. Peace is the assurance that God is in control and that his presence is enough. Folks, I am telling you, If you have friends and you have family that don't know Jesus, this could be one of the greatest reasons that they come to faith. Really. To be able to go through life knowing the author of life, not understanding all the circumstances. To be able to have confidence that God lives in you. In spite of seeing your husband there with more tubes in him than you can count. Amazing. Amazing. I am so grateful that God revealed himself to me 
so that I could be called the son of God. Not because I'm some good guy, but because I put my faith in what Christ did. And at that moment, that moment, eternity was settled for me. It was. And it can be for you. But while I have breath, I get to invest. I get to hang on to the vine. I get to be nurtured by God. I get to make an impact wherever I go because of the Holy Spirit's power and authority. Not because of a title. And so while I'm left here on the planet, there's going to be trials and troubles. God is moving. God is working. There are victories, but ultimately the victory that we're going to see is when we're called back home, all of us. And we get to spend eternity together with an amazing God in an environment the way that he intended for us to live forever and ever and ever. And after you've sung praises to him for 10,000 years, you're going to do it again. Who's like that? Nobody. Nobody. Jesus is pouring his heart out to the guys. He's saying, you have no clue. I have tried to teach you. In fact, in just a few moments, you're going to scatter. It's going to not look good for the team. But please hear me. You can have peace in me. I am in charge. I will walk with you. Oh, that gives me wings. And I'm so grateful. Let's pray. Father, I think if we were Jesus, we'd be a little nervous. But Jesus trained perfectly and modeled perfectly, and more than anything, he had faith in his dad. Lord, he prayed often in the garden to take away this pain. And yet he endured for you, for us. And you showed us your love by sending him to endure. God, I am so grateful that this message is not an old message, that this message is is something that each one of us can hang on to. 
I pray even today, Father, if there is someone right here today that doesn't know you, that doesn't understand how wonderful it is to have a heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that they would even do that today. For those, Lord, that know you, for those who are sons and daughters of you, who have come to you by faith and are experiencing life, some even abundant life, we pray, Father, that we hear your words. Life isn't going to be easy on this side. But we have you. You have given us everything we need to accomplish the mission you've given us so that someday when we stand before you, Father, you can say, well done, well done. You listened to me. Look at all the people's lives that have been affected. Thank you for being obedient. In Jesus' name, amen.